This episode is brought to you by Kia's first three-row all-electric SUV, the Kia EV9. With available all-wheel drive and seating for up to seven adults. With zero to 60 speed that thrills you one minute. And available lounge seats that unwind you the next. Visit kia.com slash EV9 to learn more. Ask your Kia dealer for availability. No system, no matter how advanced, can compensate for all driver error and or driving conditions. Always drive safely. Mysterious Universe Season 31, Episode 5. Coming up on the show, we've got Paranormal Photographics, The Prey of the Spectral Vampires, and Secret Canadian Anti-Mafia Black Ops. I'm your host, Benjamin Grundy. Joining me is Aaron Wright. Secret Canadian Anti-Mafia Black Ops. Okay, we've done, just tell me what this is. We've done New Zealanders. We've done... <laughs> so now we'll bash the Leafs and we'll see how we go. Black History Month. Now we're attacking the Leafs. Okay. We're raking them up. Putting him in the trash. <laughs> That's pretty unfair. I mean, we should probably stop attacking people. No, they are part of the Commonwealth, right? They're our brothers in arms. Yeah, well. They're our royal brothers. Does the Commonwealth even really exist anymore? Yeah, in, on paper, it does. <laughs> We're all united under the king, right? Maybe. We'll see how it goes. No, this extends on from this amazing story I covered on the Plus episode on Tuesday from one of our favourite substacks, the Pope Head Post. It was this article entitled The Magistrate and the Behemoth. Mm -hmm. And it was an article about this Italian uh, magistrate. What was his name? Paolo Ferraro? Yeah, here he is down here, Paolo Ferraro. He was flung into a world of deception, mystery and intrigue. Yeah, this was in the, what was it, 2000... 6, 2007, mm-hmm. in that period where he came out and... Oh, 2008, it says just there. Right. He made these claims that this woman he was living with, his girlfriend, was being harassed by these strangers that would enter her home during the day when he wasn't there. He lived with her. And eventually he set up this secret recording device, an audio recorder, and he claims that he would come home and check the tapes And there would be these strange individuals, men and women, sometimes minors as well, who were waiting for him to leave. And then they would enter the apartment and his girlfriend would be induced into a kind of hypnotic spell. Yeah. And then there was all these implications of it being some type of cult ritual going on or some type of strange practice. And they were arriving 30 seconds after he left and started crossing into the realms of gang stalking. Yeah, and then his car got uh, vandalized and there were all these strange symbols marked in the dust of his old car. One of them was a yen symbol and there were weird crosses. And Oh, so did we find out what the yen symbol had to do with all of it? Well, we were waiting for a follow-up because we covered this amazing story from Popehead on his Substack. It's uh, popehead.substack.com, who we've mentioned in the past. He's a brilliant writer. Yes. And we were both just waiting for part two. Because I was thrilled to tell this story and then I got to the end of the article and it was like yeah. part oh. two coming tomorrow. Yeah. Uh, so he wrote about how this, uh, this magistrate, after he passed away, I think he died in 2020, all of the information about him was erased from the internet. Mm. All the YouTube videos were suddenly gone. There were these uh, long detailed posts about the accusations he had made. And generally his ac- accusations could be boiled down to a kind of military conspiracy. Yes. That there was some kind of uh, Italian uh, secret military operation that was very similar to MK Ultra, And 
his girlfriend was a part of it. Her previous uh, ex-husband was a high-ranking military officer. There were all these military connections. Well, it just also happened that they lived within an apartment complex that was within the military citadel. That's right. This military district outside of Rome. And after he passed away, all this information got scrubbed. And it's very difficult to find any information, especially in English, about this story. And that's why Pope Head was excited to write about it. It was the first time uh, this guy, uh, Paolo Ferraro's story, was ever spoken about in the English language. And we were just like, where, where is this going? So part two came out uh, on the 8th. And immediately that website, which referenced all the information, which had the full story, including all this guy's claims, is no longer available. What? It got removed. But hell, hasn't that been up for years and years? 15 years, this website has been available with all that information. Pope Head writes his article. And it's gone. We cover it on the show about three hours after he posts it. And... It's gone the next day. Not even the ne- not hours later. It's gone. Surely, surely it's someone that's you know maybe in control of that WordPress site is just messing with people. How right. do they even know about the article or the podcast episode? Well, I mean, you can search for stuff using Google. Can't, I mean, as in, like, you can set up alerts. So maybe there was an alert set up and it was mentioned somewhere and linked to, and so they've seen it. And maybe to add to the mystery and intrigue, I just don't like. I find it very difficult to believe that you've got this incredible conspiracy going on and then right after details about it are published, it just disappears. It's weird. It is weird. very weird. So part two came out and we're going to reveal where this story goes in our plus extension coming up. Canadian black ops. There's a strange uh, murder in one of the other military districts with this woman. She was found murdered with all these occult symbols carved into her skin. Really? Yeah. See, because I must say, by the end of that episode, I was like, this guy's suffering from some type of psychiatric disorder. He's being gang-stalked. Like, <laughs> maybe he's on hallucinogenic substances. The well, guy the, is just a mess. The, the reason we thought that is because we actually listened to his audio recordings where supposedly these individuals have entered and seduced his, his girlfriend with hypnotic messaging. And we listened back to the audio queen. recordings and she's just like, la-da-da-da-da. She's doing the dishes. <laughs> Most of it's just dead air. There's nothing actually going on. And some fans, some plus members who listened to those audio recordings who could understand Italian said, oh, in that one you played, she was kind of complaining about how much housework she had to do. <laughs> and that was it. So it wasn't because didn't he think that it was some type of, um, I don't know, what incantations that were being spoken? Yeah. And- or there's hypnotic, hypnotic trigger, stu- yes. trigger words that are sending her into this MK Ultra altered state of consciousness. And, and yeah, fans are just... No, no, no. She was saying, like, he's a stubborn boyfriend and she really doesn't want to do the dishes. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, I'm looking forward to finding out what the answer is to this because I'm sure that Pope Pettit has done some excellent research into the conclusion. Well, that led me into the uh, Canadian, the secret Canadian black ops, anti- anti-mafia black ops, which is a whole other thing. Okay. All right. Don't There's, tell me uh, about it. Yeah. Very secret uh, organization. One woman gets kind of tied up. She realizes that her family is being targeted by the mafia. She has to flee through Canada. There's all these secret bases hidden in the wilderness. It's like a secret society of uh, Canadian black ops. You're going you're gonna to want to sign up for Plus for this one. <laughs> it's what? a good one. Okay. 
All right. Well, let's get into this episode. And for this episode, I picked up this old magazine. I didn't realize that there was a whole collection of them online, which of course I'll link to so you can go and check it out for yourself. But the magazine's called Beyond Reality. Yeah, here you go, Ben. You've just put up the cover of one of the magazines. June, what year is that? This is 1980, I believe. The magazine was running from the mid-1970s, maybe early 1970s through to the mid-1980s. And uh, look, I like to consider this episode, you know, normally we go for the hot chaff. Like I like to find scalding hot chaff Mm. and kind of bring it together. This episode I consider to be a paranormal hot dog. It's like you oh, get nice. you get all the meat off cuts, all the offal, a little bit of hoof in there. Is it like a hot dog you'd get at Hamburg or, or a hot dog you'd get at a baseball game? Oh, a hot dog you'd get at a baseball game. So it's rubbish. And then you throw out in all those pieces. <laughs> but you know what you do? You sprinkle it with a few preservatives, some are questionable, and all of a sudden it just tastes right. fantastic. It's and like so, one you get off one of those food carts in New York where it's either it's either rat or some other meat in that's there. That's exactly right. Yeah, but you put in these additives and these preservatives and it just tastes great. Mm-hmm. And you just want to keep on going back for more. Okay. That's this magazine. That's what this magazine feels like. So as I started digging through this magazine, I wasn't even necessarily looking for any type of, of theme that came up, but I did notice there was this strange theme amongst the the copies that I that I went into. Uh, there are multitudes of them. I only picked up about, you know, 10 or 12 of them. Let me guess, you you did photographs of other dimensions. Well, that's where I started. Curly and photography, I well, yeah, bet. That's where, well, this, this, there seems to be this trend amongst these magazines uh, for a certain period of time that fo- focuses on photographing the paranormal and trying to document it. And I thought, okay, this is a fascinating, you know, way to approach this kind of thing because, you know, skeptics always kind of jump on this idea that, oh, well, there's, you know, whenever we get a photograph, it's always blurry or whenever we get a photograph, you know, they're, they're poor quality. And even today, you know, everyone's got a mobile phone in their pocket and yet we can't seem to get decent photos. Yeah, I, I, I totally agree with that. Um, but it seems like in some way the phenomenon itself uh, is able to modulate the way that it appears to people. So when people try to photograph it, it somehow is capable of either avoiding detection altogether, being captured in the light, uh, or in some circumstances, it will go to extreme lengths to uh, damage or destroy or make photographs blank. Uh, some of those stories I'll get into a little bit later on. So that's Perfect where I was led. example on the screen here. Oh, yeah. I mean, look at that. It's a spooky. Uh, the pareidolia is obviously, you know, um, quite strong in, in many of these. What are you talking about? There's clearly a, a, an evil ghoul in no. that photo. No, 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 no. It's uh, so let me, let me give you actually a couple of examples. So, like, photographs of other dimensions was one really good example. And I didn't go into it in too great a detail. It just kicked me off as to where I was going to go on the episode today. Um, but it's got examples of people like taking photographs of where they um, go out into a field somewhere. And when they would go out into this field, they'd just take a photograph. But it happened to be an ancient site and near either a ley line or near, you know, something that was a, a Neolithic site or like a Stonehenge kind of site. And all of a sudden, they get a photograph of what appears to be a man wearing a loincloth and a club of some cool. kind. Yeah, or, right. You know, like these... Fighting a saber-toothed yeah, tiger. Yeah, almost like very sensationalized. But yeah, it's almost to that point. And that's, that's repeated a lot. I actually found there's these sorts of stories of people that... Uh, we'll take photographs and we'll get get images that are just not quite right. There was one example actually in a in a story which I wasn't going going into too much, um, but where is it? It's the ghosts of Rose Hill, uh, and this was published by Frank Zimmerman. This is from 1980 in this particular um, story, but that story uh, focuses on some really strange elements of this uh, former Welsh cemetery. Right, so in this cemetery. Uh, it's in a location that sits somewhere between uh, Nortonsville, I believe, and Summersville in Northern California. And this particular location was a, a mining location back in the, the mid-1800s or so. And eventually, obviously, as some old mining towns do, they just essentially disappear off the map because the mining finishes and people move out and you know, yep. leave behind their dead. 
And it just so happens that there was a lot of misery in this particular location as there were for, you know, especially around this time, this late 1800s where there was mining, there was mining accidents, there was uh, disease, there was a whole heap of issues. So children sadly passed away. And um, with this particular site though, there's these little stories that pop up of people seeing things like uh, floating crosses that would hover over the particular graveyard, or they would see uh, balls of light, obviously, which are standard for most graveyards that would pop up. But then other elements started popping in, for example, where there were people that would just vandalize it. It was just wanton vandalism for who knows why, people having fun, but they would go and do things like, like steal tombstones, and God knows where they'd take them. But when people went to the site and started photographing the location, they were claiming that if they took a photograph and developed it later on, because it's not digital, obviously, you'd have to go and wait for it to be developed, but the photographer would know exactly what that location looked like. Like They'd take the photograph and it would be in broad daylight and you'd see this cemetery. And the cemetery at some point in the 1970s, I believe, had actually been uh, re-fenced. So they'd put up a chain link fence at one point and that was you know, vandalized. So they put up a new fence to try and preserve this particular site. So if you go there and photograph it, you know exactly the location. But what was coming up in some of these photographs is people were saying that uh, they were seeing like it would be black, like the entirety of the photograph would be black. But in the location of where they took this photograph, there would be a tombstone that had previously been removed. So it's like they were photographing into the past. Mm -hmm. It's just strange, right? It was like a spectral tombstone that would kind of appear, uh, suggesting that there's some type of, like many haunting, some type of impression that's left upon the land. Have you got the photos? No, I don't have the photos. Of course not. No, the photographs. <laughs> that's Compelling why. Compelling and rich. That's why I didn't stay on the photographic so realm for too long because that's the problem with this. Is that there's view on this split screen. Yeah, you yeah. are too. I noticed that I'm going to sit up more. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> so with this, um, it, the, another example was is that because there was this vandalism that was going on, it was clearly disturbing the spirits in this location. And there was one woman, I think what was the name of her, um, I don't have a name here, I'm sorry, but essentially uh, it was reported by Frank uh, Nosereros. So Frank Nosereros went and investigated this particular site after people started saying that once this particular graveyard was vandalized and they were getting these strange photographs that were coming out, these spectral forms started appearing. Like there were the ghosts that were seen hovering over certain locations and over certain graves. And of course, it seems like it's absurd until one witness took his kids out there. And I don't That's know That's what why. you do. I know. I'm Fun like, day out. Why? Hey, kids, you want to go to the park? You want to go bowling? Or the graveyard? Yeah, I don't think I would take my kids to a graveyard. Even depending, I mean, even if they were older and they were, you know, because some kids, I guess, depending on their age, they have an interest in that kind of thing. But regardless, this one particular guy reported to, to Frank, and he shows this photograph, of course, which isn't included in, in the magazine. But he reported that uh, he took a photograph of his kid sitting in the, in the graveyard. And what's really strange in this particular photograph is when it's developed, there's two kids in the photograph. Mm. There's his kid and some kid in clothing that appears to be turn of the century. So it's like this little ghost kid, this little friend that was was hanging and around. And the, the, the image was that good. They It was that compelling decided and rich. not to include they, it in the magazine. You're absolutely <laughs> right, yeah. Look, look, it was the 1970s, 1980s. Maybe it was just too expensive for the ink to include that photograph. <laughs> so with that as well, another example came through, and this is the, the final thing I mentioned on this, is that there was also a case of where uh, whoever it was who had vandalized this particular graveyard, and there must have been multitudes of people, but uh, this one particular guy had stolen a headstone and apparently, uh, and this kind of starts building to the theme of where I went later on, mm. seemingly something was attached to it. 
And with there being something attached to it, it brought it into his his world. And it was pissed, like obviously it was very angry with him and pissed off with him. And so he takes the, gra- the stone back to the graveyard. And when he takes the stone back to the graveyard, he claims because later on he was found by his relatives unconscious, lying just out to the graveyard. <laughs> he's just passed out he, naked no, in the graveyard. He's full of scratches. Oh. And, like, and he's been beaten up by something. And he's insistent that he was beaten up by some form that had been in the graveyard that was ticked off that he'd stolen it in the first place. So these particular- Is that why he didn't have the photo? Did it take his camera? Yeah, well, exactly. Stole yeah, his yeah. Uh, These particular places, you know, they, they have these impressions of where you leave these wandering spirits and these energies that are left behind. So this is kind of where I went because it ends up being more about there being- um, it, it's There was one story, right, about- We go into curling and photography because that's where it kind of moved over. And there was this one particular story that was describing some of the research that was conducted into, into curling and photography, which we know quite well. It's right. When you take a photograph of someone, you seemingly can see their uh, energy field yeah, around the their Russian body. Yeah, method devised to capture the energy field. That's right. Yeah. Subject. And, you know, the more modern kind of takes on curling and photography, it's like if you go to um, some type of new age fair or, or something like that, you know, it's all pretty pretty colours and that kind of thing. And We spoke about one recently that they were selling for thousands of dollars, but it wouldn't actually produce a photograph. It would produce a graph with numbers around your body. Yes, yes. That it's, gave you some kind of mathematical measurement of your energy see, field. I, it's I, become more elaborate. It has, but I don't necessarily like that. I like the real classic stuff, like the back when they, the Russians were really looking into it, where they would have like uh, it's like bolts of electricity that would come yeah. from people's fingers. It's like it's, and- the energy is purple, which means you're whore. <laughs> you're not. You're actually not far from the truth with that. I think purple was what was it? Purple, purple or violet? Was that uh, your uh, more sensual? Yeah. So I was like, yeah, okay. Blue that's- means you count the revolutionary. Go to gulag. <laughs> You're probably pretty right. But what this uh, story was describing was that there's, there seemed to be this discovery that was done in, in, in Curlian photography early on, where they noticed that, uh, have you ever gone up against someone? Like you've met someone, they're completely brand new. You've never met them before, but they just rub you up the wrong way. And every not, day, I'm, dude. I'm not, well, I, I like Literally every day. when you say that, okay? <laughs> I'm not saying a standard kind of jerk, right? I mean, it can be a kind of person that a whole heap of other people have no problem with, mm-hmm. and they don't they don't display any type of traits that are just, you know, naturally jerkish. Uh, every time I go to the bathroom in this office and oh, there's wow. that guy taking a dump next to me on his phone on his the phone. entire time. He did. I walked into the bathroom <laughs> today and he's in the stall on his phone. I was yeah, walked- mate, I'll get that document to you. <laughs> no worries. Give me 10 minutes. Talk about the bad energy of this building. I was like, well, that's contributing to it. So I'm getting the hell out of here. being on the call with that guy. And honestly, he's on the phone. Every time you go into the toilet, He's this guy's in there on the phone, whether it's taking a piss, doing yep. a number two. He's in there doing a – he's on a business call. a business call. call. You can hear he's like talking about contract details. He's like closing multi-million dollar deals while well, he's on the shitter. In this building, I probably wouldn't imagine it'd be multi-million dollar deals, but still. Multi-hundred dollar deals. Well, look, maybe maybe his field, right, is affecting yours because what they noticed early on with Curlian photography is that um, some people have this experience where they'll, they'll meet someone that's brand new and they'll just rub them the wrong way. Like they'll just have a really bad uh, kind of feeling about them. They won't get along. Um, you know, it's like, well, is that well, just you simply... have the opposite where you meet someone and you instantly, instantly click, yes. you feel like you've known them forever mm. and you have some kind of connection immediately. That's right. So in curling and photography, I don't know if it was through uh, an accident or if they were deliberately looking for it, but they noticed that there's uh, some people that are direct negative contributors. And what they are essentially is that there are just some people that have this kind of field 
that if you come up against them, it completely drains your curling field. Oh, like vampiric like, God, kind of energy. vampiric. Completely vampiric. Like everything's gone completely drained. And they've got some of these photographs, which again, they didn't include in the magazine, <laughs> of people who have like got half of their field kind of removed when they come up and face a person in a certain way, or they notice that uh, when people are sick, there's like an actual section of the field gone. Um, you know, there's people that are described coming down with a headache all of a sudden after encountering these sorts of people. And your field eventually regenerates, apparently. But there's these people that are essentially unwitting vampires, like they're unwitting spectral vampires in a way that they just drain you completely. And it's a very small category of people, apparently. Um, but they just seemingly have this ability. So this is the kind of trend that I wanted to continue on. I thought, okay, this vampir vampiric kind of path is where I'll go. And the magazine continued to deliver. Now, just before I go into it, there's just a couple more things that I'll just throw in here. This is part of the hot dog. Here's the hoof parts for you, Ben, that we'll throw in in the, in the offal. So um, there was this one story that was described of where a man... Uh, had Wait, you're not going into the vampire story? I'm you just set up that whole thing oh, and now I'm, you're doing I'm something else? I'm going back to the vampires. I'll come back to the vampires. The vampire is like... It's like the night, the part of the hot dog that has all the relish and the it, mustard yeah. on it. But right now you're it's, just eating the crappy part, right, which yeah. is the dry bun. Yeah, we're just going through the dry bun at the moment. Like, like uh, yeah, and we'll go get on to the really <laughs> delicious hot dog part in a moment right. that you want to come back for more. Uh, no, I just wanted to mention these because I thought they were just a little bit silly, but they go to demonstrate the the widespread of the encounters that are in this these magazines and why it's like it's a shame that it closed. Down. I know it's a long time ago, but it just really had some good stuff. Um, there was one particular guy that was talking about his ability to, you know, speaking about curling and photography and seeing auras and fields. This one particular guy had, uh, and his brother, had claimed to have had the ability to directly see not just people's auras, but the actual energy fields that flow around people in the form of clouds. They could actually see a particular type of cloud that would manifest around them. And there's a couple of examples, right? It shows you how this kind of draining can take place. But he also could not only just see what was happening with the person and their personality and you know whether they were ill or something like that. He could also work out who they'd been around, uh, if they were pregnant, this kind of stuff. And he'd been doing it for a long time. He'd been having this ability and it kind of just seemed second nature and natural to him until there was this one time where, and I suppose it's different today, but he wanders up and he meets this doctor, a male doctor, right? And there's this big pink fluffy, uh, fluffy cloud that's all around his stomach area. <laughs> And he's like, the only time I've ever seen pink fluffy clouds is in pregnant women. That's what oh, that is. Weird. It's like, and so this doctor, he's like talking to this doctor and he's like, um, yeah, look, I'm just going to tell you something. You've got this pink fluffy cloud around your, your stomach. And he's like, are you a, um, you know, a pediatrician? He's like, nope, nope. He's like, um, okay, well, normally I see this in pregnant women. Like, why do you have mm. this? It just so happens that right before he had met this clairvoyant or this guy who was able to see this stuff, apparently he had seen a patient and the patient was pregnant, but he was struggling because obviously it wasn't his field. He was struggling to kind of connect with his patient. So he was thinking just beforehand, he's like, I've got to find a way to connect with this patient and understand what, how, what she's going through with her pregnancy. And he was thinking about it. And these thoughts manifested as this weird pink field that was in his stomach area. So it's like somehow, even though he wasn't pregnant, he'd picked it up from mm. his patient by trying to empathize with her. Just shows how connected we are. Absolutely it does. It, it really does. So while you can have this you know, negativity of these people that can drain everything, you also can pick up on other people's feelings. And I suppose if you can do it with something like a pregnancy, mm -hmm. you can obviously do it with everything else. And it's kind of natural. Like when you run into someone who has a bad attitude, you find that you start having a bad attitude yeah. as well. That's why I always close my eyes and picture the president of El Salvador before a show. <laughs> Get him in my mind. 
just locking away the criminal scum, and then I do the show. <laughs> Works great. well every time. Well, I think that's that, that's that's yeah. What, okay. How do you visualize? You know, I've never actually visualized anyone before the show. Setting that's, them up. Yeah, set me up. I couldn't, I couldn't <laughs> think fast enough to do that. My kid's having night terrors at the moment, so I'm very sleep deprived. Um, so then, right, so that that was the first one. But then he had an experience that was a little bit later on where he ran into this woman and this woman had this particular, um, it was like a, a brownish, gross kind of field around like this and it was all over her, like everywhere. And he's like, there's something off about this because the field that I'm seeing Normally, that's associated with with children and happiness, but it's it's definitely children, but they're not happy. And he's like, "What's going on with what this woman?" And that's what he's doing. He's trying to work it out. He's like, "Oh, you know, um, you know, what do you do?" And you know, and she's kind of runs a, an orphanage or something. Well, that's what I'm wondering. But you're close. You're very close because there was all this misery. And he's like, "Are you a school teacher?" She's like, "No." And he's like, "Okay, well, you know," and she wouldn't let on. He's like, "What do you do?" She's like, "I'm a truant officer." Oh. So she goes and pulls kids. kids she in goes trouble and finds kids, yeah, all day and brings them back to school. So she was associated with this energy of the kids, but then the negativity of them not wanting to be captured. Mm. So I thought, okay, this is kind of cool. The best story I ever heard in this regards was, remember we we covered this guy who's passed away sadly now, but he was uh, a practitioner of not energy healing per se, but he was kind of a psychologist and he practiced in Sydney, a French guy. I can't remember his name, but we covered the book years and years ago. And I lent the book to a friend who never gave it back, so I can't look it up. But I remember one story from his practice because he spoke about these instances with his patients. And it was a guy that was complaining about um, throat issues, Mm -hmm. constantly had sore throat, swelling, thyroid issues. And when this guy saw him, this practitioner saw him, he noticed that he, uh, in another dimension, he had like a, a, a weird red noose. Oh, yes. Yeah. Around his neck. Do you remember this I story? I do recall. Yes. And when he used his kind of psychic ability to follow the origins of this red noose, it was some uh, past life debt. It was someone he had wronged in a past life who had followed him through several incarnations and wanted, wanted payment. For so, something he had done hundreds of years ago in a previous existence. Yeah, so it's like some etheric representation of karma. Yeah, in a way. Yeah, I mean, and th- this is the thing, right? I mean, it's so easy to dismiss this kind of stuff and and, and write it off, but you know, in the sense that uh, we've spoken previously about psychologists, for example, that treat people that think that they're possessed, even though they don't believe in possession, but they approach it from a therapeutic point of suggesting that it is real, that they're often treated. It's the same with this kind of stuff, right? There's people that will go and seek out the assistance of these particular helpers because they're suffering or these, you know, visionaries, these psychics, because they're suffering from some type of malady. Um, and then very often you'll find that they'll find that there's something attached to them or, um, you know, there's something wrong with their auric field. And this stuff, like it sounds like it's woo and it sounds like it's crazy. And maybe it's an extreme placebo effect. But once they see these people and they're somehow treated and they're, you know, they're brought to the attention of whatever's going on, they seem to recover. And they often recover quite rapidly. Um, but then there was one other story, which was just so ridiculous and silly that I just have to include it. We are. This is a hot dog segment. This is absolutely, all. yeah, exactly. So uh, this is definitely, uh, probably the Parsons nose of the equivalent of this. Mm-hmm. Like it's it's the chicken's bum hole that goes into the hot dog in this one. So this was written by Jan Paul. Uh, not it's to, beak meat. Yeah, that is exactly. That's exactly <laughs> what this is. This is beak meat. So Jan Paul. This was uh, 1979. Uh, and I don't know if Jan is male or female in this, but it just doesn't really matter. Um, but Jan reports that uh, they had moved into this this little house, right? And this little house was somewhere in in Sheffield or something. I'm not exactly sure. 
But uh, when they go into this house, it's an absolute bargain. Like it's absolute bargain and it's gorgeous. There's just like little fireplaces around and these cobblestone floors and this big wall and these big rooms and blood dripping down the wall. Blood dripping down the wall. You know, the lift Stench opens coming and from all the, the basement. blood comes out. Yeah. <laughs> oh, like it's just like, it's incredible. So, um, but they don't really understand, you know, why um, it's so cheap. Like, why is it so cheap? And they describe, you know, thinking, well, the amount that I'm paying for this place, it's the equivalent of a one bedroom bed sit somewhere else. Mm-hmm. And I've got this sprawling house. So they move into the house and everything's fine and everything's fine for, for quite a while until one evening it starts raining. Like it starts raining and um, they're sitting in their living room and I think they've just actually gone to bed and they hear this like sound coming up the road and the sound comes roaring up the road and uh, clearly it's a car and the car is revving its engine and uh, it smashes into the wall directly outside the home. There's this big stone wall that's out the front of the home and smashes into it and it's just... It's clearly a mess. Like it's clearly going to be really, really bad. So they're so terrified that they don't want to. I'm sorry. I'm saying it's this is Sheffield. It's not Sheffield. This is California that this happened. Um, but they're so terrified about you know, going down and seeing this because it's even written. Like Jan says, I didn't want to see the gore. Like clearly, it was going to be extremely gory. This mm. is a horrible accident. Um, so she, I think it's she. She calls the the police, and the police respond and say, Well, look, you know, like normally the highway patrol, you know, handle these sorts of things and. Uh, can you just talk outside and have a look? And, you know, she's like, oh, okay, fine. So goes outside. So the ho- wait, hang on. The police want her to be the first on the scene? Yeah, and there's a reason for it, right? Because I thought exactly the same thing. What? Like, why would you do that? Because normally the highway patrol handle any type of accident. But her response was like, well, um, but it's crashed into my house. So it actually yeah, came okay. under your jurisdiction. Right. And so the response from the police officer, and it's really strange because the police officer was like, yeah, can you uh, just go outside and have a look? And it's like, you would think that they would be a little bit more professional in something like that. And obviously with a distressed person, so, you know, I've just had a car crash out the front yeah, of the house. Yeah, risk of fire or is something going to explode, maybe Ex- get exactly. away from there. Yeah, exactly. So she wanders outside and there's nothing. Nothing. What do you mean nothing? Nothing. As in zero. There's nothing. There's no car. There's no fire. There's no accident. There's nothing. It's just this quiet, peaceful night with just rain gently falling. Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. So she goes back inside and gets back on the phone. She's like, I'm I'm really sorry. I'm really sorry, but there's there's nothing there. There's nothing. And this police officer is like, yep, don't worry about it. Yep, that's fine. <laughs> Get uh, one of these calls if, every if, hour. If anything else happens, uh, just feel free to give us a call back. So she hangs up. She's like, mm, if anything else happens, like that's, that's strange. Why would you say that? So, you know, she goes along in her life and, and everything's fine until she starts meeting people that have previously lived there. And it, like it occurs to her, she's like, hang on a second. When I got this place, the landlord said to me, oh, um, the previous tenant will give you the, the keys. 
uh, if you can just meet them, you know, and uh, they'll give you the keys. And she's like, oh, this is great because, you know, Jan's thinking that they'll show her through the house, that, you know, she'll be able to get the keys. And I was going to ask how she meeting the people that. Yeah, well, she's just going to rock up at the house. Uh, she claims that it was so surreal that she got to the house and the previous tenants weren't even there. Uh, they finally rock up, throw the keys at her, and then drive off. <laughs> just out the window. Yeah, then. Out the window. <laughs> I don't even, you're right. I don't even think they get out of the car, right? And just drive off. And she's like, what the hell is going on? Like, Good no. luck, lady. Yeah, really. That's exactly kind of what happens. And she's like, what the hell is going on? So she eventually starts meeting other people in the town and in the neighborhood. And it, it finally gets back to her. The reason why this place is so cheap and why it's been so cheap for so long, because the previous owner had bought this property. And uh, well, the owner of the property, sorry, the owner of the property had bought the property. It was a woman and her husband. Now, the woman uh, was inside one evening and uh, essentially what had happened was is that the, the husband uh, had they'd built a new road or they'd changed the road and they'd even put up uh, signs and flashing lights, you know, to stay away from this part of the road because the road had gone through. But for whatever reason, while it was raining, the husband had gotten confused and had uh, smashed into the wall. Easy mistake. This to make. accident. We've if, all been there. We've all been there, right? This this terrible, horrible accident. Now, unfortunately, the car caught on fire, and he was completely incinerated. Right? Oh, horrible! Like truly, truly horrible. He didn't think to get out. He couldn't get out. He was trapped. Right? He was trapped, and it just so happens that his uh, his wife, who was in the house at the time, had sleeping problems, so she'd taken sleeping tablets and was completely out of it. And it just so happens that had she had woken up, it's likely that she would have been able to help him get out of the car because the car didn't immediately set on fire and would have been able to retrieve him from the vehicle. So when this happens, obviously she left. Like she couldn't stay here, but she's never been able to sell the property because every time it rains, and she found it from each and every tenant, every time it rains, the same accident repeats itself. Oh, he's in some kind of ghost loop. Over and over and over to the point where Jan ends up buying the property at a discount. And she's like, look, if that's the only thing I have to put up with, it's a bargain. And she did. She got this bargain of a house. <laughs> she just puts up with this just ghost crash. That every time that it rains, <laughs> she has to experience a ghost crash. And I was like, okay, all right, interesting. Fair enough. If it gets you a good deal. Yeah, I know. I mean, I guess it's going to be a problem for resale value when you go to sell, but you just don't tell people. Right? I, mean, yeah, I don't think there's a law that I you have to disclose so. ghost crashes. I think you have to, dec- I don't know where, depending on where you are, but I think in some circumstances. They have that in Hong Kong, you have to disclose it. Yeah, right, yeah. When you said there was something creepy in the previous house, I thought you were talking about this story. Well, I never. What? Couple discovers 33-foot deep hole built in Middle Ages beneath their living room. Surely you've seen this on social media. Scroll <laughs> down. Is it so? Yeah, they buy this oh, house. Is it a well? It's they, like a medieval they, well. Yeah, renovate the carpet or they change the carpet or something, and they find this <laughs> well that's hundreds of years old underneath their living room. And instead of patching it up, they put a window in the weirdos, so they can look down at the creepy well while they're having tea and biscuits. Oh, that's all kinds of bad. Like that's the start of so many horror films. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's bad enough with some of these places that you've got to, you know, cover it up, but if you can't see it, it seems to kind of reduce the impact of this sort of stuff. So look, let's head into the vampiric kind of stuff because I crossed over into an article that was written by Martin Ricardo. This was published in December of 1980, and uh, it's really intriguing because it kind of follows along the lines of what you and I have recognized over the years, Ben, of the, the whole concept of uh, parasitic entities and uh, attachments and, and things that are kind of in that line. And he points out that, look, you know, um, the whole, and I'm making this obviously very short, but the whole concept of the vampire and they're being, you know, wearing the really cool outfit and sleeping all day and flying out at night from the castle and, 
you know, sucking people's Dracula, blood. Basically. The whole exactly the Dracula thing. It might seem like it's the realms of fiction, obviously, and sensationalized media. But the thing is, is that there's a reason why this... Well, it's a fictionalized archetype of some kind of real paranormal metaphysical phenomenon. That's right. There's a reason why this archetype, this form of archetype has been around for so long. And it turns out that this stuff isn't just old. It's actually uh, firmly implanted into, you know, numerous belief systems, particularly around Romania is one example. Uh, But in Eastern Europe, there's a firm belief that these things actually are real. But he even writes back in the late 1970s, early 1980s, Um, There's stories of people having strange experiences, such as he said there was a young woman who was sleeping in an unusual room or an an unused room, I'm sorry, uh, as part of an ancient England building, uh, English building. She'd never stayed there before, Um, but she woke up in the morning to find everything in the room vibrating and teeth marks on her shoulder and finger, and it was completely exhausted. Now, what could that possibly be? I mean, like, like what kind of teeth marks? Just teeth marks, or like human teeth marks. Human teeth marks. Yeah, human teeth marks, like something and had you know, bitten into her in the middle of the night, but everything vibrating, the room vibrating, you know, what is that? Uh, he also writes, there was an Angl- Anglican priest who recently reported the case of a man who had felt blood, uh, that his blood was being drained uh, by a spirit of his dead brother that was coming to him. And uh, the only way that he fixed that was through a ritual exorcism that finally brought him release. So these sorts of things, like they're, um, while they're not directly vampiric in the sense of Dracula, they do fit in with this greater theme of people being preyed upon. And in fact, that's the, the, the title of the article. It's the dead who prey upon the living. So um, I've got a collection of some of these examples where he actually suggests that it may not be necessarily physical, but rather it is spectral. It is etheric. It is uh, energy-based but they can manifest in physical form. And the reason why they manifest in physical form is because they utilize blood. And remember, like only recently I told you that story that Nick Redfern had about that witness. I think it was Julie or someone who said that she was in Puerto Rico. That was some weird cult that she or her husband had witnessed them actually drawing blood from volunteers Mm. to manifest some type of chupacabra-like entity. Like this is all these things need. So the, the actual form of a vampire might be something which is more energy-based. So he says, look, there's old accounts of actual attacks that are very much like vampires that are buried underground, and they will rise from the ground and attack people. Like, this is part of the folkloric kind of stories. But there might be something to it, because there's stories out there, right, of people saying that, and obviously this ties in with, like, a, I guess, a more superstitious culture or a village that would say that people are being attacked. But you'll go to the location of the grave, and this is typically what happens, is they think that it's a, a person who is rising from the grave. And so they'll go and inspect the grave, and they'll find that there's little holes. They'll either be finger-sized holes or like mouse-sized like holes that are in the, the coffin. Mm. And they'll cover them up, but they'll just keep on reappearing. And the, the theory is here is that these openings are somehow how the vampire is able to transmit itself in and out of the, ver- of the burial place for fresh supplies of blood. So even though it's spectral, because of the blood and somehow it's manifesting in physical form, it needs to be able to move in and out from its from its body, its vessel. So you've got people like Montague Summers, for example. He was a, a 20th century researcher of vampirism. He saw this connection between vampire traits and the properties of ectoplasm. We know what ectoplasm is, this substance of, that would emanate uh, in order pr- to produce materializations. You know, um, It's commonly seen in uh, seances and that kind of stuff. But there are collections of stories that kind of have the same kind of feel about it. Um, he points out that, look, all this kind of stuff 
fits in with the idea of ghosts manifesting or entities manifesting from blood. Indeed, there are tribes in West Africa who believe that even a few drops of spilled blood could actually be used by evil spirits to create tangible Mm. bodily forms. I'm trying to browse through my history here on my web browser because I swear I read an article about uh, UFOs and blood just a few days ago. Yeah. I'm trying to remember who wrote it, but it's the same kind of argument because there is this connection between that phenomenon and abductions and what these entities do, and it's often associated with DNA, but well, exactly. I what's mean, the th- DNA in it? It's in the blood. It's in the blood. It's in your white blood cells, and this is the thing. So it's, um, yeah, it, it needs this substance to be able to take physical form, and it needs to take physical form to be able to attack a physical person. Like, it sounds like it's a little bit ridiculous, but then it kind of makes sense when you think about it. So also, he says, you know, in in old Europe, practitioners of necromancy, for example, they were known to use blood in their ceremonies so that they could conjure spirits to be totally visible and viable. Uh, But some of the reported cases of vampire attacks in the 20th century have led to support of this hypothesis that the vampire is indeed a malevolent spirit of the dead. And he details Dion Fortune and the case of D. So D was this this young man. It's just simply called John D. D. Not John not D. John D. No, 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 not John D. So of course you know uh, Dion Fortune, the noted occult uh, occult author. Um, but she describes this case of where there was um, she was somehow instructing or supervising a psychology student at a clinic, and this is where she met D. And D believed that on several occasions that he'd been attacked by ghosts, but he was too afraid to talk about it because. He thought that he'd be ridiculed and, you know, probably rightly so. It does happen. But he said, um, well, Dion Fortune wrote that his condition, you know, upon closer inspection, appeared to be closely related to his his brother, his seemingly invalid cousin. Uh, and his cousin was an invalid in the sense that he was extremely disturbed after suffering from shell shock from World War One, And for whatever reason, the family of D would make him sit right next to his his cousin because it would somehow calm him down. Now, the ex-soldier's attitude towards D apparently became increasingly hostile, like increasingly hostile to the point where finally D had had enough when he was bitten by his cousin on the neck. A very classic kind of vampire thing, right? So things change. Yeah, but classic fiction vampire thing. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, (laughs) of course. Yeah, exactly. That's that's my point. Like it's, it's like what he you know describes at the start of the article. Yeah. It's this you know fictionalized kind of thing that they bite you on the neck. When the reality is that especially if it's um, you know some type of energy, they'll just get you anyway, or they'll drain your life force you know, through your your you know Curlian field, your aura, or something like that. But the story kind of went a little bit more uh, darker because D had been like, "That's it. I'm not I'm not hanging sitting next to my cousin just to calm him down for him to attack and bite me." So he goes back to his own apartment. And he says when he was in his apartment, away obviously from this invalid cousin, even stranger things started to occur. It was around the same time every evening that the neighborhood dogs would bark and howl wildly. Then the French windows would open by themselves and a chilling draft would move through the apartment. He said he would go to a locksmith and they would repeatedly come in to see if they could barricade the window and it would even continue to open at the same time, like with there being nothing there. And again, that's part of fictitious um, vampire lore as well, that they would return at exactly the same time every single night. But as this continued to go on, uh, an occultist was called in. And this occultist was asked to be able, like a visionary, to see you know what's happening here. And they sat and waited for the same time. The French doors opened and the occultist claimed that he could see that there was a glowing form that was moving through the, through the room and into the corner. 
Now, he was able to somehow dispel this spirit and he, and he got rid of this thing, but he fell unconscious from it. Apparently, he was in some psychic battle with it and it completely drained him and he, he fell unconscious. But it was enough to vanquish this thing. This thing was gone. And the follow-up was that the invalid cousin also recovered from his shell shock. Like he got over it. He was no longer invalid. Well, Dion Fortune suggested. His IQ went up 40 points. Well, kind of, yeah. So the occultist actually suspected that a vampiric spirit of some kind had actually jumped from someone who was slain on the battlefield onto the soldier. And we've heard this. You know, we've heard cases. One was described by, um, you know, the Russian guy of describing after seeing a sort of terrible battle taking place and oh, the German guy and all the, these soldiers that were dead and seeing these black entities jumping from, mm. you know, body to body to body. Uh, essentially, this is the same thing that Dion Fortune described is that this thing had attached itself to the ex-soldier, causing him to seemingly go into shell shock, but also causing him to, you know, vampirize others. That's the term that was used here. It was this actual horrible form. Now, um, when they'd gotten rid of this, this globe, there was something that's pointed out as well, is that they'd actually reached out to touch it. And they said when they touched this glow in the corner of the room, it actually sent pulses of electricity through their, their hands, like an electrical charged kind of feeling, like a current. Uh, it's written here that D. Scott Rogo, who is you know, an excellent researcher in parapsychology, of course, we've covered his work. Uh, he's done a lot of research into this kind of stuff, particularly this uh, vampiric energy drain that happens. Uh, and he points out that when he's gone into other haunting cases and he's actually run into apparitions or other people have run into apparitions in his research, they describe exactly the same thing. It's like touching a ball of static electricity and feeling it pulsing through their body. Then, of course, you know, if you look into vampiric lore, not fictional lore, just vampiric lore, but very old urban legends that come from Eastern Europe, Bulgaria, mm. those sorts of areas, guess what vampires do? They glow and they sparkle. It's like, like this is like Twilight kind of stuff. But no, it fits into these, these, these old stories. So on the other hand, though, he says there are some vampires that are only tangible to the touch. You can't see them but you can actually feel them. And he writes that there's an account of a, of a miller that learned that one of his servant boys was being attacked every night and paralyzed by some kind of force. Now, That's what I was going to say. Like the, the vampiric activity is things like sleep paralysis, yes. succubi, incubi, yep. all those kinds of uh, encounters, those nightly encounters. Absolutely. Yeah, you're, you're totally right. And so uh, this young boy who at first, you know, no one believed, and this is so typical of this stuff, no one believes that something's going this Miller could see that there it really was the life force was being drained out of this this young boy. Uh, when I say young, I'm I'm assuming that he's like, you know, a teenager. Um, but one particular evening, the Miller decided to stay up because the boy became weak and emaciated. Like his appetite was like ravenous. Apparently, like he was starving all the time, and he ate so much food. It was Klaus Schwab just sneaking into his <laughs> sneaking into his it was bedroom like an at night? Adrenochrome straw, yeah, adrenochrome straw, yeah. <laughs> no, um, this this continued. But although, in a sense, in a sense, in though, a sense, that's what happened. Yeah, that you're kind of right because yeah, the yeah. Miller had said that one particular evening he saw that the uh, the chest of the boy slightly became a little bit depressed and the child was like writhing around. Oh, weird. He reached down and grabbed hold of something. He grabbed hold of- or the boy or the- no, He said he grabbed hold of something that was on the boy's chest that felt like a ball of gelatin. It's like uh. some jelly thing. And he picked it up as it's struggling and he's like, <laughs> oh, oh, he doesn't know what to do with it. He threw it into the fire. Nice. He threw it into the fire and there were no further attacks. Did it just go in a purple flame? That's not described. I'm going to go, yes, that's exactly what happened. But isn't that fascinating that he couldn't see it? No one could see it, but it took on an actual physical form that could be felt. And yeah, it was it was thrown into the fire and somehow- Maybe uh, that's what was what Trump was doing when he said he was uh, grabbing women on the pussy. He was actually 
grabbing the clives. grabbing those clives, which previous psychic researchers have said are the ones that attach to your genitals. That's true. Yeah. So it could have been it could have been an act of compassion. I highly doubt that, but you know. Uh, like just the spur of the moment. Oh, you've got a Clive. Let me take care of let that. Let me just you. get rid of that for you. Yeah. I'm Throws sorry. it in the fire. I'm not entirely sure. <laughs> That's why all of his buildings have fireplaces. <laughs> let me yeah. just grab that. That's right. So uh, going to Cambridge now, we've got a student in England in the 1920s who was um, fascinatingly enough lodging in this uh, this uh, accom- university accommodation that just so happens to be right next to a graveyard. And so, of course, you've got this corny aspect of it being a graveyard. But, of course, what are graveyards associated with? They're associated with spectral forms, ghosts, and vampires. And there's allegedly vampires hanging out in these things. Now, this stuff is just sometimes a hazing ritual and it's silly superstition. But this particular student one evening said that he got up one night to, because he heard this scratching noise. And so he gets up and he goes up to these thick, heavy curtains and he pulls the curtains back. And he says, to his horror, outside was a figure that was moaning and swaying excitedly. It was outside the glass, right? But he doesn't describe exactly what it looks like, but he said that it had like claw-like hands and it lunged at the student directly through the window, grabbing him by the wrist. It's written here. The student fought to pry the talon-like fingers off him and uh, said he could see a ghastly face with fiery eyes. Now, the student starts screaming. And of course, because he's in a, um, a student accommodation, other students wake up and obviously come to, to check and they find that he's struggling through the glass with something uh, and then falls to the floor babbling. Now, they don't see exactly what it is, but they just see him babbling on the floor. He was taken to the hospital and he was, he was checked out. Um, the amazing thing about this is that he had scars upon his wrists like something had clawed him. How does that happen? It's like, it's like but it's reaching through glass. So it's clearly non-physical to be able to get through it and yet it's physical when it manifests. Now, uh, apparently, an investigation by the same university uh, found that some of the scratch marks were on the outside of the window and the window frame, <laughs> but no footprints in the soft earth just below. Okay, it. that's weird. Where are the photos? Yeah, there's no photos. There's, there's no photos of any of this kind of stuff, right? You, got, you gave me photos for the segment. I've got images. Oh, uh, well, the, the photos. Let's bring this up. Okay, I'll, I might go into this later, um, but I, I, I we'll bring this up. So bring up this image here for me, but we'll come back to the vampires. The reason why I went to this case, uh, and this, this is a very long and, and convoluted case which i you know i won't i'll link to it in the show notes so you can check it out it looks like a is this a blood cell no well it's funny you should say that but no it's 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 not a blood cell it's actually some type of inflatable ball-like material with a humanoid monkey-like creature inside (laughs) oh now that you say that i can totally totally see see it it, right because you see it in there yeah okay so this relates, this didn't come from, the reason why I got into this, right, is because after I went down the path of, I wanted to look for more paranormal photographic kind of stuff, mm-hmm. I came across one of the most strange photographic cases that I, I've ever seen. Um, I take it absolutely with a grain of salt because it really what are you, is. A, what are you talking about so when the this, photographic evidence okay, is so, so definitive? This story is the story of Filiberto Caponi. This is a, a young Italian man who had a strange experience coming home in the early summer of 1993. So, so much schizo Italian content. Oh, on I know, this show I know. <laughs> so let me let me come back to him. I'll just describe a couple more of these these vampire cases, and we'll come back to this. But since you did ask for photographs, I thought I would I would throw it in. And I did you know, tease there with it being uh, a monkey like humanoid inside some type of inflatable sack. Just keep that in mind as we continue on. Um, but going back to the you know the article about vampirism. 
Uh, you know, Dion Fortune actually did some research into to multiple modern vampiric style accounts, and it was quite obvious that there was a tendency of these spirits to latch onto people indefinitely, right? So a few years before the turn of the century, uh, a vampire investigator reported the case of a wealthy Austrian woman who had a romantic attachment with a male ghost that lived and talked you know, with her. Now, it served, uh, she served everything of its whims and did everything she wanted, uh, but also she started noticing that she was becoming drained. And it just so happened she wasn't, you know, until it was almost too late, that whatever this thing was, it was actually a vampiric energy form. And it was not only draining her, right? The kicker to this particular story, but it's only short. What it was doing is, this is how insidious these things are, is it had attached to her and was draining her, but left with her with enough energy so that she could go around to other people and drain their energy. So she, oh. it was like using her as some type of weird conduit. intermediate conduit. Parasitic yes. conduit. Made me think, is she one of these negatives? Like these Curlian negatives that seem to drain off everyone? Because Curlian photography never went into that. It just highlighted, look, there are some individuals that seemingly just drain the... the well, the idea with, with that would be if you were drained, you would have a very small field. It wouldn't be; it would be barely detectable by the apparatus. Yeah, yeah. It, it, that's all it would show, really. Well, that, that's exactly. It wouldn't show any type of, of entity, though. And I'm just wondering: is that what these particular people are? These people are they've got attachments to them that are essentially drained. And then you could look right when you look through the annals of paranormal reports. You find multitudes of people having the same sorts of experiences. Like this in some of these magazines, it's like haunted clocks that they, you know, someone dies and they get the clock, you know, trapped or a spirit trapped inside the clock and then the clock's got to drain people's energy and then <laughs> haunted paintings come up and because like the, like someone dies in a room, and there's some horrible, awful painting in there and they get trapped inside the painting and then it needs to, it, everything needs to drain energy from somewhere or gain energy, I should say, I shouldn't say drain, but that's unfortunately what happens to a lot of people that interact with this stuff is that they are, they are drained. But when you think about the whole concept of energy is neither created nor destroyed, only transformed. Uh, in the light of these more esoteric topics, in a way, it kind of makes sense, right? If these spirits are continuing to persist somehow, whether they're trapped inside a clock or a painting, whatever you call it, um, they are needing to get energy. And the way that they get energy is from the people that are around them. Like they need to bring some type of life force in. Uh, and a great example was also like a um, one of these seers, like one of these people that was able to see the energy of things. One of them was able to see actually the energy of each brushstroke in a painting. And they were able to go over and like you mm. and I would just see a painting, but they would see the energy of each brushstroke and how long it took for like if they'd done it one day and then the next. And if their mood changed, the artist's mood changed from one day to the next, you'd be able to see that in the brushstrokes. And they'll be able to, which is fascinating. So you're transferring some of your energy in. But I, I digress, going back, you know, to some of these um, experiences. There was a report that was more recent. It came from 1975, uh, and it related to a 25-year-old woman in Indonesia uh, who was believed to be possessed by a Naga Jatin Gorong. Naga Jatin Gorong. And uh, this is a, a sort of vampiric Where spirit. Where is that from? So this is an Indonesian entity, which is a recognized apparently. But the sad thing about this is that she'd had five husbands die of acute anemia uh, less than a month after each time she got married. Wait, wait, wait. Five husbands. Five husbands, right. How now, is she not in prison? Well, that's the <laughs> like, thing, come right? on. Because the local medicine man concluded that the vampire had sucked the energy out of them, right? But I'm like, well, hang on a second. She's putting glass in their nasty goring. Well, not, not even necessarily glass. She's probably putting in glycophosphate or something like that because that's what caused, like, anemia, which is obviously- It wasn't me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was the ghost it's that It's not stolen. Yeah, it's the uh, destruction of red blood cells. But in saying that, right, to just keep in mind that, look- 
Maybe she is like, but it's rare, first of all, to have female serial killers. Uh, mm-hmm. It's would be even more rare in Indonesia where, um, you know, different living conditions and you need, you know, your partner to try to help you provide. Uh, it would be strange that, you know, you're not saying it's out of the realms of possibility, but it just would be strange. But let's say that she's not poisoning people. Nick Redfern has pointed out a couple of stories over the years as well of people uh, having experiences with um, you know, horrible entities in the middle of the night that come and drain them. There was a story of Margaret, for example. She never had sleep issues, but all of a sudden she starts developing them. And um, as she's being attacked, she wakes up one night to find this shadowy form over the top of her and it's it's sucking out her breath, like as it's sucking out her breath. And she's just, obviously all of her energy is being drained. And she even said in her own words, it began to take my life away. It was pulling the life out of me. She claims that she saw the shadow climb off her, but as the shadow disappeared out through the room, it turned into a large black cat, you know, fitting with the merrily harpoor kind of stuff, right? Um, the thing was, though, what the reason why I raised that particular story is she developed anemia later on. Uh, there's other people, like there was a story of, of Dan, who was you know, suffering also from these sleep paralysis problems and these conditions. He claims that he was being you know, zapped by these things. And no, he was encountering black-eyed kids, I believe, mm. but also developed anemia after interacting with these things. There's multitudes of reports of people having these sudden blood disorders that are consistent with, you know, what could be considered to be an energy drain um, that is supernatural. So it's like, is that what's happening in some of these cases? Yeah, I keep thinking back to my favourite book on this, which is Sister of Darkness, The Chronicles of a Modern Exorcist. What's the author's name again? Uh, I can't remember, but she... She details five categories of entities. Sister of Darkness, Rachel Stavis. That's oh, Stavis. Mm-hmm. She calls the, the ones I mentioned earlier when I made that really terrible Trump joke, which I apologize for, the Clives. She mentions the Clives. She says they look they look like Clive Barker's art. That's why she calls them Clives. Oh, I always wondered that. Yeah. Oh, they, you know, and they are actually consistent, though, with what you'd expect. Like, you, they're horrible. Yeah, you'll see that one on the screen on the right maybe is what she's, is what she's talking about. But, all I mean, all of his artwork is hideous. Uh, and It looks demonic. Demonic and evil. Yeah. But, um, yeah, like, I was going back through through her book as you were describing that, and, she's, yeah, she really says they're like leeches. They... Yeah. They attach to you. They suck as much energy as possible. They seek out a frequency that matches their own, which is the important thing to mention with all of this stuff, is that often when we cover these stories, typically you'll find the person has made a, a lifestyle decision that has led to this predicament yeah, I mean, of encountering this metaphysical entity draining their energy. You are, it's you never are. random, chaotic. There's always something behind it. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you on that because there seems to be the higher incidences of this when people are suffering from um, alcoholism, drug abuse, that kind of stuff, um, you know, traumatic relationships, that sort of stuff. But in other circumstances, I wonder if there's some type of karmic element that's going on here as well. Stavis said they're invisible to the host because they amplify pre-existing negative emotions right. rather than create new ones. When they attach, you become the proverbial frog in water. If you tend towards sadness, they are prone to uh, make you have full-blown depression. If you drink too much, they lead you to alcoholism. And if you're prone to outbursts of anger, you might become violent. And she says uh, later, she says, guess where these Clives attach? Genitals. (laughs) And she actually, it's funny because she noticed it. I remember her writing about this when we covered it on the show. She noticed it because some of her clients were porn actors Mm -hmm. and they always had 
thousands of them, like Ugh. just covered in them. And she noticed it with um, celebrities as well. These uh, actors, she said, may be possessed by other malevolent entities, uh, typically connected to sexual trauma. But mm. 99% of the time, she said, these clives are the most prevalent entity. They attach the most easily and they they do it the most quickly. So, yeah, just thinking back to that, uh, I'd love to actually get her on the show for an interview to do a follow-up on all that stuff, see if she's still involved in all this. Because what she was describing, just according to her psychic vision, sounded so ubiquitous. Yeah. It was like, if if I told you the amount of people that have these things attached to them, you would be terrified. Yeah, I mean, you're right. It does seem to be more prevalent than you'd actually realise. And I think maybe this can explain, pardon me, some of the... um, because we see it, right? Because we live in this heavily materialistic world. And so we go, oh, well, it's a medical problem because you've got suffering from anemia or, you know, you've got an iron deficiency. It's like, well, no, you could have a bunch of clives attached to your cooch as well. She said, if there's the aftermath of sexual encounters that are hollow and meaningless, create the perfect uh, energy environment yeah, for right. these entities. Right. So, I mean, um, I think there is something to this. You know, I know that this magazine's now 40 years old, but, you know, they, they were picking up on something that there are these these hidden... Uh, dangers of these entities that are around. But, you know, going back to the, again, like making these parallels to vampiric fiction, you know, vampiric lore as well, folklore, um, the whole idea is that, you know, you've got a, a, a body that will remain suspended somewhere and then the vampire's spirit will go out and do whatever it has to do. It kind of moves on to the next level. It's not a physical manifestation, although it can physically manifest later on. Uh, he points out that, look, when you travel around the world, uh, you find that there are kind of parallels to this. So there was a, a report from an Asian explorer. There was a, a man by the name of E. Scaturchley who in the ni- late 1800s, 1896, uh, traveled to a small Philippine island where he found people who were able to hide themselves in the grass, go into a trance-like state, and then would leave their bodies to feed on others. So it's like shamans. It's like shamans. Like, but, they're, but, but they're vampires. But they're vampires. <laughs> like they're vampire shamans. Uh, also, in connection with this, he said he witnessed things that he really could not explain. Uh, there was deserted villages and he would see, um, because obviously people had fled, but that he would see dancing lights flying over the heads and moaning sounds as their spirit would somehow leave and go and attack people. He said the look of terror, <clears throat> the terror, look of terror on the faces of people that had been attacked was uh, truly horrifying. But then there's this Romanian peasant's account of, the, of uh, an old man and some soldiers who stopped at a house one night. Now, they stopped at this house. And this little old lady lets them in and she offers them dinner and, and they have dinner and they ask to rest. And she's like, oh, yes, that's that's fine. And um, she's like, oh, I just have to go upstairs to rest myself. So she goes upstairs. She's gone for hours, hours and hours and hours and hours, right? And the soldiers are a bit freaked out because there's just something off about the entire situation. So the soldiers go upstairs and they find that she's in the attic, right? But they find that she's at the attic with six other people. And they're all lying, lying like what? prone on the ground. And they're all in a state of what appears to be some type of suspended animation. Like they're all like, I don't know if they're floating. Are they sleeping in coffins? They're not sleeping in coffins, right? But they flee. And as they flee, according to this old report, they look back at the house and they see seven lights returning to the home. And this is how they... Burn them! Well, yeah. but they, it's It's the same as a story that comes from the late 1800s. It's the same. <laughs> so, I mean, are people just making this stuff up? Or is it like from... Like, that's a report from Romania in the 1800s. And the other one was a report from the like a remote Philippine island in the 1800s. Or are people seeing similar kind of things? And is it still occurring today? So this whole idea, I mean, this really is a kind of vampiric hibernation. It mimics death, but it's not actually a state of death. It's a, it's a state of vampiric suspension. 
Uh, he also writes in 1952, a French newspaper published an article about the exhumation of a body that was buried in an Italian cemetery since 1920. The terrifying thing about this is that it was found to be in a complete state of preservation, and when it was cut, blood spurted from the corpse. It's like, spurted, you say? Yes, spurted. So it's like, mm, what is this? Then, of course, you've got uh, Sean uh, Manchester. He was the president of the British Occult Society. Uh, he reported people encountering vampires in England's Highgate um, Cemetery. Now, we know the Highgate vampire story is multitudes of people that have reported seeing like a vampire-like being that was uh, running through there. But apparently this thing um, would get people to sleepwalk to the cemetery, and they'd be okay. But when they'd come to in their homes and after witnesses had found them, they would have marks upon their neck. They'd been attacked by something. So again, like the whole idea of a vampire having the ability to control someone. But when you think about it in the sense of possession, well, that's exactly what they do. They possess and they control and they bring people. So, you know, as I said earlier, you've got to take all of this with a grain of salt, but it is hard, you know, which is written here, to dismiss the unusual number of reports of people having these sorts of encounters. Um, Except when you've got photographic evidence of a weird spectral monkey creature contained within this blood orb. Look, I've got I've got more stories, but I think what I'll do is I'll, I'll just describe <laughs> I, I've, I've got the whole idea. I will do this on Tuesday. I will come back to this. Let me describe this for you because this case, as I pointed out, it's it's quite long and convoluted and, and Let quite me ridiculous. Examine the individual pixels Look, to determine its authenticity. The, the very the very crux of this story, you know, I'm obviously going to nutshell it very much. This is the um, we've gone through the meat of the hot dog. Now we're back to the other end. We're now of the, the we're crusty now- bun. It's now after the baseball game and we've returned home and we're heading towards the bathroom to <laughs> to deal with the consequences of the hot dog. That's this is the part of the segment you're up to. Yeah, kind of. It's the eff- kind of because it's the effluent part of the segment. So I I read this story today. This is it's kind of like when you did the last show, right? And we listened to all the intrigue and the strange reports of like this cult and what they're doing and their practices and these strange men coming in. Don't shit on it. I'm going to do it in the plus extension. And then we listen to the audio and I'm like, what the fuck? Yeah, the audio. Nothing. This guy's nuts. <laughs> There's nothing in there. It's just a housewife <laughs> just doing some cleaning. That was the equivalent of me with this story today without looking at the photos because I read the story first. I'm like, this is amazing. What this a is, story. This is truly incredible. This is the and most like, compelling story. <laughs> yeah, okay. So what Filiberto experiences is that he comes home, he drives home one evening in the summer of 1993, and he says that he parks his car and just outside his property, uh, he gets a sense that he hears a scream, like he hears this terrible scream and he gets a sense that there's something there. So obviously he goes to inspect it and he walks up to this thing and that image that you showed before, Ben, he sees like it appears to be a, a half inflated kind of ball, like a ball lying on the ground. He's like, what the hell is this? Is this meant to be a photograph at night that has been adjusted? So I don't know what this is. I don't know if this is some type of artist's rendition of this because the other photos come up later on where he's got a, a Polaroid photo a camera to take these photos. But I'm like, if this is the first encounter, how do you have a photograph of it? Hmm. Right? So I don't know. I don't know. So don't hold this to me. Um, but again, to I, I hadn't seen this. I hadn't seen this. So he says <laughs> that, I don't know, he's, he's shocked by whatever it is and he thinks that it's like some animal trapped inside a bag. Like right. it, so he goes up and he kicks it or he tries to you know get it out. And out from its springs, this weird monkey-like entity. Whoa. 
Right? So it's like when a baby's born and they've still got their sack. Yeah, yeah, the amniotic sack. Yeah. So it's like a it's like it's, a demon monkey. It's kind of like that in an amniotic sack from hell. That's right. And yeah. he's just like, oh, I better go see if it's okay. And it's like it's got long legs, but its arms are too short for its body, <laughs> and um, it's got like these black plastic kind of eye. It looks like these eyes are covered by plastic, right. and there's this big bag. So the bag starts deflating. That was like a a cocoon around him or something. And this thing runs off screaming into the bushes. Mm. It's gone. So he's just like, what the hell did I just see? That's that's shocking. Pardon me. So he um he goes upstairs and he tells his family and his family doesn't believe him. He's, and he also notes that he says this this figure, right, it had like a bandage around its lower leg or like, a, like some type of cotton or something. And uh, he tells his family and his family doesn't believe him. But he, I think he, at one point his mother finally believes in him and his, um, his father's like, okay, let's go out and have a look. So they go out and have a look and they don't find anything. But what they do find is this cotton-like, um, rag on the ground, this bandage that's Evidence. got some type of red blood material on it. Well, they think is blood, some red substance. So they put it underneath a washing machine mm-hmm. that's outside because they're worried that they're going to be contaminated by it. So they put it underneath the washing machine, go inside. They come out in the morning, of course, it's gone. Like it's gone. And he's like, I don't know what to make of this. Then flows on with this story, this whole saga of how he um, wakes up one evening because he can't sleep and he looks out the window and this thing's back outside. It's like, just inside, like sitting, like there's a street lamp, and it's just in the shadow of the street lamp. The demon goes, monkey. Yeah, this demon monkey. So he goes down. He tries. To Has it returned it to thank him for for saving it from well, its maybe, demonic amniotic sack? Maybe uh, he's got a camera, so he he photographs this thing with his Polaroid, and he gets these these photographs, these incredible photographs of this thing, which we won't show just yet. So he photographs this thing. And this happens, I think, six times, or four or six times that he has these repeated encounters with this thing. And as this is all going on, right? And I, as I said, I'm compressing a very long story into very short. Mm. So as this is all going on, there's all these other elements of high strangeness that's going on. He's got weird people calling his phone. Um, you know, Metallic saying, voices in the no, night. Not so much that, but they're saying that they're from some occult group and that he's got to stay away from this thing and he shouldn't give the photographs to anyone else and he's got to be really careful. And then the military shows up. and The military? Like, yeah, like the military police show up and then he goes on national television and he tells his entire story. And this weird element happens early on, though, that once he's taken these photographs of this entity, he takes two Polaroid photographs and he rushes inside and he's like so excited to have these, these photographs that he puts them together and he places them in this box. And he gets up in the following morning and he wakes up to this smell of burning. It's like, what the hell is that smell? So he comes over and he finds the box. It was like this timber box with a plastic lid. Like, I think the lid's melted. And he, like, peels it off and he looks at it and the photographs have been altered. Like what? The, yeah, the photographs have been, he said it was like they were suddenly uh, embossed in 3D. But the form had changed. So they hadn't been completely, but they were obviously affected by heat. And then there's speculation that the entity had somehow fired a heat ray or something mm, through definitely. the building. I'm like, yeah, of course it did. Yeah, that's exactly what it did. So he um, goes on national television. He's got all this stuff going on. Uh, he's being warned. He's being threatened. There's UFO uh, and ET research groups that are kind of warring with each other, all this stuff going on. Until finally, when the military show up and they say to him, you, uh, I think, and in some of the stories as well, and like I said, a lot of this is translated from Italian, so it's, it's hard to know exactly what happened. But he was either arrested and threatened or he was threatened before he was arrested. But basically, he has to get rid of the photographs like you, and he can't talk about it anymore. And the whole reason was because apparently he was stirring up all these problems in the village. Now, this is where the story is difficult to know what's, what's the truth because, um, and you'll see what I mean when I show you the photographs in a minute, like these stunning photographs. But Stunning. His grandmother makes some weird connection to this thing. 
Like she sees it at the window. Like one night he wakes up and it's just out the front. She befriends it. Well, yeah, she, he goes and gets his grandmother and his grandma's like, oh, it's so sweet. And, <laughs> he oh. comes back and she's like bursting. Yeah, yeah it. exactly. Yeah, it's like, it's like it suggests that maybe it's like been left behind. But then people in the neighborhood start seeing these lights in the sky. So there's UFO activity taking place. So is it an entity that's been accidentally left behind and they're trying to retrieve it? Um, all this stuff goes on. Other people start seeing it around town. Chickens start getting mauled. Mm. So there's cattle mutilation kind of elements coming in. All this builds to this incredible crescendo where um, he's threatened and he's told you got to keep your mouth shut because you're basically stirring up the town. You're causing people to be terrified. You can't talk about it anymore. Now, some people would say that the reason why it was covered up is because it's uh, it's not anything about him stirring up you know, anything about the town. It's the fact that he got clear photographs of these things. And because he got photographs of these things, the um, they wanted to shut it down. The powers that be wanted to shut it down. Here's the photographs. World exclusive. <gasps> it's this guy. Uh, yeah. It's the dirty styrofoam monkey guy. You're close. Next one. <laughs> this is the second time. He's like, he it. kill now, me. Now, okay, so this is two. This is two of this, this almost, in a way, possibly grey-esque kind of creature. With I remember this one. Mysterious Universe Season 1. Yeah. <laughs> I probably 17 not doing years ago. any kind of justice because he claims, right, there's, he's got like a plastic bag around it. Can you see, like, I don't, I don't, don't know if that plastic bag <laughs> is like the plastic bag that he was in before, <laughs> but he has this other sighting with this this entity, right? And in one of the, the um, translations, he describes it as being almost mechanical. Mm. He says it's like some type of mechanical thing. So this last photograph that I have is where he captures it without the plastic bag on. There we go. And you can see these two tubes, tubes that are coming out of it. Yeah. It's almost like the uh, Virginia case from Brazil. Yeah, it is. And that's what I was thinking too. And it's like he's covered in this oil, stinky oil slick. Yeah, which is exactly, and this is why I'm a bit confused and conflicted about this. Because according to, depending on which source you're reading, right, these aren't the original photographs. But it looks like, it looks like Jaime Mossan would present him in front of the Mexican parliament. Like that's how bad <laughs> yeah. it looks. That's like the proportions are all wrong. They're clay. Yeah. <laughs> He's an it's artist. Right. He's an artist. He had an art studio, which he called a lab, next to the house, <laughs> full of clay. <laughs> and he claims, this is one, one interpretation, is that he claims that the police came and threatened him. So he said to the, and it completely backed off, and said to the townspeople, oh, no, 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 um, I've made these, and then took photographs of the clay models, and the whole thing was a hoax. Right? right, and apparently when the um because he wanted to get the the police to go away or the military police to go away, he took them into his studio and handed them this piece of clay that was just sitting on the bench. He's like, "Oh no, I made them." So they were, so he just owned up to the hoax. No, he he fake owned up to it so that the police would leave him alone. And then later on, he's like, "No, these definitely like I just said that, oh, so the police would leave me alone. These are definitely the real images." All right, let's examine the pixels. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Okay, so would would or would not? I definitely would not. <laughs> Look at that gap. <laughs> hmm? So talking about photography, the whole. I mean, point if of, like, you're abducted and the conditions were, you ha we have to extract oh, your man. vital essence Look, to return you to Earth. People have their limits. <laughs> that's that's my limit. That that's my limit. <laughs> I'd hope it would be yours as well. Although, 
So look, I'll link to that story. What if they're like, we have to do this to save our race. Our race is dying and we need Die. your vital essence. I'd kick it in the face. To restore our that, DNA. That would be it. I'd just kick it in the face. <laughs> Let their entire civilization collapse beneath them. So yeah, look, I, I personally think that's highly likely this guy just pulled a massive hoax. Uh, he appeared on some um, Italian television show and it did. It created an absolute furor. Like it really did attract a huge amount of attention. But obviously the television show is in Italian, so it's only for our Italian listening fans. Uh, take a look at it and see what you think. I'm pretty much resigned to the idea that this guy just started off with a little mm. hoax and it got way out of control. Uh, and yes, so no matter how much photographic evidence you try to get, uh, either the phenomenon will uh, melt your images or it will not allow itself to be seen. Very interesting. Nice yes. segue. Thank you for Italian stuff. We've got some psycho Italian stuff coming up after the break with this man, the uh, Italian magistrate who tried to expose a Italian military uh, MK Ultra psyop sex slave program that always occurred <laughs> up to twenty seconds after he left the house. Yeah, where he he would leave the house, and sometimes I think yeah, as little as seventeen seconds after he left, these strange military agents would enter his girlfriend's apartment, and he caught it all on tape. Mm. And it's compelling. It is compelling, compelling and rich. And, rich. Mm. and of course, after this was exposed by Pope Head. And I, I like to say significantly after we covered it on our Plus show, all the ev evidence was gone, <laughs> removed from the internet. <laughs> if that's not a smoking gun... Mm -hmm. It's rather conspicuous, isn't it? Then I've got an alien to sell you. <laughs> Look at this a guy. Clalian. A clalian. Sorry, I'm really sorry about that. But that that's all of that's actually a bit of an in to, I think, the... The, the meat of the hot dog I've got coming up. I'm going to be talking about this book from Pauline Dakin. Mm -hmm. It's called Run, Hide and Repeat, A Memoir of a Fugitive Childhood. This is a Canadian woman who had a, a very strange childhood, her and her younger brother. They were often, uh, after her, her father and her, her mother divorced, their life was very chaotic and very secretive and she could never understand why and her mother would never tell her. Uh, for example, on like a Tuesday night at 10 o'clock, her mother would burst into the room and be like, we've got to go bowling. She's like, what are you, what are you talking about? She's like, get your shoes on. We've got, to go, time. we've got to go bowling. She's like, it's a school night. I've got an exam tomorrow. Get your shoes on. We've got to go bowling. Or there would be instructions like, don't tell any of your friends where we're going this weekend. You know, you're not allowed to talk to this person. Like they would move uh, in various places. They would stay over at other people's houses on a whim. Like it was just very strange. They would... Be almost as if they were running from something constantly. Is she a scammer or a fraudster? Well, her mother would never tell her. It was always the same thing. I'll tell you when you're ready. I'll tell you when you're older. I can't explain it now. Until she was 23 years old, she got a call from her mother one day and her mother said, come and meet me at this gas station. It was like two hours away. She's like, okay, mom. So she goes and she meets her mother at this gas station. She gets in her, her mother's car and her mother's being very secretive, like looking over her shoulder and her mother just shushes her, shushes her, says, don't say anything, like puts her finger to her mouth and hands her this envelope and she motions for her daughter to open it. Now, Pauline opens the envelope and there's a message inside. And the message simply says, uh, take off all your jewelry and put it in this envelope. I'll explain later. So she's like, what's going on? She has to take off all her jewelry. She puts it in this envelope. Her mother stacks it away and then drives her to this out-of-the-way dingy hotel room 
where she sits her down and proceeds to explain why the last 15 years of her life have been pure chaos and what they've been running from. Jeez, the mind just starts to race because why would you need to remove your jewellery? Yeah, exactly. What's that got to do with anything? But it is a crazy story. It's connected, I think, to our schizo-Italian content. Uh, That's coming up in our Plus extension. Head to mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. Sign up today if you want access. Gets you access to the big extensions we do on these shows every single Friday. Plus members also get a totally ad-free show uh, and you get a higher quality MP3 version of the show for the audio as well. And Plus members can watch all the video that we put out, including the exclusive shows that we put out on Tuesday only for Plus members. Uh, it's all nine bucks a month. Sign up at mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. And if you sign up for the Emmy uh, Max tier of the membership, you get access to our massive back catalog going back 16, 17 years of content. You can go back to the first time we mentioned this guy. <laughs> back Actually, in- I don't think you can. I don't that first season <laughs> is in there. It's probably in 2008. It's somewhere in 2008 there. or something. It's probably in there. Uh, sign up today, mysteriousuniverse.org forward slash plus. That's a wrap for this free edition of MU. Thanks for the hot dog, Aaron. More delicious weirdness coming up uh, in our Plus extension after the break. If you're on Plus, stick around for that. For everyone else, thanks for listening. We'll catch you next